Thank you, ladies and Alex. Great job, great song. And um, sometimes in America, we really think we're paying some big price for our faith because uh, Disney's got transgender characters and we didn't go to the movies. Uh, listen, I'm not saying we don't pay a price, but if you understand what has gone on in history, uh, to people who follow Jesus, you understand that uh, we have it really good here. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've heard stories of people having their tongues cut out in China. Uh, them throwing a pastor's Bible on the ground and putting a gun to his daughter's head and say, stomp on the Bible and deny Christ or we shoot your daughter. And he begs them for mercies and boom. Uh, listen, someday when we get to heaven, for those of you who are saved, uh, I think we're going to be amazed at what people did for Christ. And I'm glad we're all welcome there through Christ. Amen? Not because we've paid a great price for our faith. Uh, I don't think we're supposed to pay somebody else's price for our faith. I think... You and I are supposed to pray our price for our faith. And whatever that is, if you're a Christian, I urge you to pay it. Please go in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah chapter 46, page 544. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one with a hard black cover ahead of you. Page 544, Isaiah chapter 46. Paul told the Corinthian believers to flee from idolatry. Which just simply means, as we think about applying the Scriptures today, that if you're a follower of Jesus, that there should be no one and no thing that you admire, love, reverence, or worship more than God our Creator, the God of the Bible. And we are in the early weeks of a 21-message series that I have called Learn of Him to Flee from Idolatry. And last week we talked about our Creator being omnipresent to be omnipresent means that God is everywhere at the same time. And though God's presence is manifested in a special way in heaven and in a special way through the Holy Spirit in the heart of those who believe, uh, God is present everywhere at all times at the same time. And to reject a creator who is omnipresent is to commit idolatry uh, because God is who he's revealed himself to be, not who you or I imagine him to be. We talked about how unsaved people uh, have, no, have good reason to fear God because you cannot hide from an omnipresent God. We talked about saved people rejoicing because we can find God wherever we are. In fact, if you're here and you know God and you love Him and sincerely try to follow Him, you're not trying to flee. You're not trying to run from God. We instead rejoice that we can find His presence wherever we are. Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers, though there be many that are called gods, there is but one God in 1 Corinthians 8. And though there is one God, the world of Moses and Old Testament prophets was filled with many that were called gods. There was a pantheon of gods in Ur of the Chaldees where God called Abram. There was a pantheon of gods in Canaan in the land to which God sent Abram. There was a pantheon of gods in Egypt when God sent Moses there to deliver Israel from slavery uh, 
And there were many gods in the promised land when Israel got there. And in Chaldea, where Abraham was from, or Egypt, where Israel fled, or Canaan, where they went. I mean, understand, people sincerely believed in those gods. But sincerely believing that 2 plus 2 is 5 doesn't make it so any more than sincerely believing that Baal or Ra, our God, makes them God. Things are true not because we believe them. Things are true because they're consistent with the written revelation of God. And though there are many purposes for the Bible, the most important purpose for the Bible is so that our Creator could reveal Himself to mankind. If you have any sense at all, you can look around at the complexity of our world, in particular the biological world, and it is not an accident that there is, in fact, a great Creator. But you cannot know the Creator from the creation. You can know His existence. You can know His power. But if you want to know what that Creator is like, we must look in the Bible because that's where He's revealed Himself to us. And if you want to know the Lord Jesus as He reigns, you don't sit in your room and imagine or look within yourself to find out what Jesus is like. You look into the pages of God's Word and find out what the real Jesus was really like. I want to learn of him so that I can flee from idolatry. And I think that is the desire of the vast majority of those who are here today. The false god most frequently mentioned in the Bible is Baal. If there are any followers of Baal in America today, they are well hidden. Um, but in Old Testament Bible times, the Jews were constantly struggling between Jehovah and the holiness and faithfulness and the character that he asked of his people and the false god Baal there in Canaan who was very loose and very immoral. Uh, Baal, who is often pictured as a bull or a man with bull's horns or sometimes just a man, he was considered to be the god of fertility and the Lord of rain and storms. And so Baal, to those who followed him, promised fertility and fruitfulness and prosperity. And I'm told that the worship of Baal um, near is involved the sacrificing of bulls and sheep. It sometimes uh, involved temple prostitutes, both male and female, and on occasion it involved sacrificing an infant. To Baal. And those who believed in Baal, though, they understood he had limitations. In fact, on at least one occasion, when there was a victory of Israel, when they fought Syria in the hills, the Syrians said, well, their God is a God of the hills, and our God is a God of the plains. They knew Baal had limitations. But in contrast to the false god Baal, who did not have authority over everyone or everything, Jehovah, the God of the Bible, is sovereign. If you would stand this morning in honor of the Word of God, the title of my thought this morning is The Sovereignty of God. By the way, I have a list of the order that I and so if you're sitting here thinking, well, you just picked that because you saw me. No, really, honestly, uh, if I have something to say to you, I'll find you. But the Spirit of God knows exactly where you are. The sovereignty of God. 
Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9. He says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Thank you. You might be seated. Most of the gods that man creates and has created over the past millennia have been small. Man doesn't like a sovereign, omnipotent God. Man creates gods of fertility, gods of the harvest, gods of the underworld, and each falls short of the sovereign God of the whole universe. See, the one true God, we read in verse 9, He makes clear His uniqueness in the universe and among all creatures and beings people call God. Verse 9, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me this a few weeks ago when we talked about the fact that that there is only one true God. Understand the implications of that. That means Baal is not God. That means Shiva is not God. That means Brahma is not God. That means Allah is not God. That means any God you name in any place in the world today or in history is not God. There is one true God, the God of the Bible. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. There are none like him. And one thing that makes Jehovah unique among those who are called gods is he knows the future with 100% certainty. Look at the first half of verse 10. It says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. See, the Bible is filled with thousands of detailed prophecies of future events, hundreds of which have already literally been fulfilled. I'm told that Jesus Christ already fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies. Many of the prophecies in the Bible were not only spoken hundreds of years before an event occurred, but they were spoken at a time when no one could even have reasonably guessed what might happen. By the way, fulfilled prophecies is not only one of the things that makes Jehovah unique among those who are called gods, but it is also one of the things that makes the Bible unique among books that are said to be from God. Do a simple Google search of predictive prophecies in the Koran compared to the Bible, and you will see that the difference is night and day, and you don't have to be some great scholar to see the difference. And it's not even just that there is a difference in religious books. Uh, The prophecies of the Bible that are detailed and careful and very specific are very different from the vain ramblings, general generic ramblings of men like Nostradamus. The God of the Bible is unique. His word will stand and Everything he says, all his counsel will happen, and God does whatever he pleases. Look at the second half of verse 10. He says, my, God, my counsel shall stand, uh, whatever God says it's going to be, and I will do all my pleasure. The God of the Bible does all his pleasure. Whatever he chooses to do, he does. 
The God of the Bible does not need approval from man. He does not need some approval from some celestial being or heavenly committee to act or speak. His sovereign will goes. He is sovereign over his creation. He does as he pleases. He is supreme in his authority. All things and all creatures are under and subject to his dominion. The word sovereign simply means supreme. The God of the Bible is above all others. He is independent of all others. And because God is sovereign, everything that happens, I said everything that happens, is either something that he caused or permitted. Everything that happens is either something he caused or something he permitted. Because God is sovereign, he acts in a way that pleases him. God is never constrained to do anything that doesn't fit his wonderful plan for mankind or for his son or for the world around us. You and I sometimes have to change our plans. God does not have to change his plans. Because God is sovereign, he's never been nor will he ever be backed in a corner to do something he doesn't want to do. Every one of us here have been on occasion backed in a corner and had to do something we did not want to do. God has never been backed in a corner. His counsel will stand. He does anything and everything he is pleased to do because he is sovereign. In fact, as a Example of this, he mentions a ravenous bird that he calls a man from a far country east of Israel who will execute his counsel in verse 11. He says, calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executes, notice the ravenous bird is a man, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country. So there's going to be a man from the east in a far country who's going to execute God's will. He says, yeah, I've spoken it. I will bring it to pass. I've purposed it. I also will do it. And though this ravenous bird, this man from the east, is not mentioned by name in Isaiah chapter 46, he is mentioned by name in Isaiah chapter 45. Go back a chapter if you would, please. He says in verse 1 of chapter 45, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him. And I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. And I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight, and I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron, and I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by name, am the God of Israel. <laughs> you see, if you're here and you're familiar at all with ancient history, you have heard of the Persian Empire and you have heard of Cyrus the Great. He was the first great king of the Persian Empire. By the way, Persia is modern day Iran. Um, it was the Persian Empire who displayed the Babylonian Empire who hadn't even taken power when Isaiah wrote. And understand that when uh, Cyrus the Great took the city of Babylon uh, through the brass gates of Babylon. That was an event that did not occur until 175 years after God called him by name. By the way, it's interesting and not an accident that Cyrus the Great was born in Ashen, Iran, directly east of Israel. It's interesting and not an accident that the symbol of Cyrus the Great was a golden eagle, a ravenous 
bird. It's interesting and not an accident that the city of Babylon, at the time this was written, it didn't even have brass gates yet. And that the night when Cyrus the Great and his army took Babylon, brass gates, those leave gates were left open, and they went in and took the city that night, just like God had said 175 years earlier. God knows the future with 100% certainty. He is sovereign and he has unlimited power to do whatever he has resolved to do. There is no limit to his dominion. God's counsel shall stand. He does anything and everything he is pleased to do because he is sovereign. See, because God is sovereign, the psalmist declared in Psalm 115.3, for the Lord most high is a great king over all the earth. Because God is sovereign, Paul said of the Lord Jesus Christ in Colossians 1.16, all things were made by him, created by him and for him. He is before things and by him all things consist. You see, because God is sovereign, he is always in control. Nothing happens in the universe outside of his influence and authority. Nothing. He is the absolute King of kings. He is the absolute Lord of lords. God is sovereign. Which brings up a good question. Why does God being sovereign even matter? Kind of seems like a quality of God that goes without saying. And though the sovereignty of God should go without saying, the average human being shrinks God to make him into a more of a genie who answers to us instead of a sovereign creator to whom you and I must give an account. By the way, let me say that again. Though the sovereignty of God should go without saying, the average human being shrinks God to make him into more of a genie who answers to us instead of a sovereign creator to whom you and I must give an account. And I think practically speaking, it's very easy for all of us to lose sight of the sovereignty of God because we don't like the way he handles things. We don't like the way he handles some of the things in the world. We don't like the way he handles some of the things in our own life. We don't like the way he's handled some of the things in history. But since God is sovereign, there's no point in getting mad at him because he isn't going to change just because we're mad. Listen, you can be mad and you at God, and some people do that, and they die shaking their fists at God. But understand, God isn't like who's going to change just because you're angry. Since God is sovereign, there's no point in condemning him for anything he has decreed or allowed. Listen, we all disagree with the way God handles things at times. But he's not like some people in our life who, when they learn that we don't like what they have planned, is going to change Since God is sovereign, none of us are ever going to win a fight with him. We're never going to have an argument with God and and, and walk away and say, well, I got him that time. Listen, when the Lord is for us, there is no creature or decree of man that can be against us. And when God is against us or what we are doing, there is no creature or decree of man or human being who will ever look up and shake their fist and get their way over God's way. When God has decreed the wages of sin to be death, there's no individual, state, or religion who can make it otherwise. 
What God has decreed that Jesus of Nazareth is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the only way to the Father. There is no creature or religion that can change that. The God of the Bible, Jehovah, the Almighty God, the creator of the universe is a sovereign God. On December 5th, 2003, there were five college students from Crown Bible College in Tennessee driving a van with their college singing group. They were singing and doing mission work in the state of Florida, and they were driving to a meeting, and their van was hit head-on by a large tractor-trailer that crossed the median, and all five passengers aged 18 to 22 were killed instantly. The gas tanks on the truck exploded and the van burst into flames and nearly everything was destroyed. But there was one item of all the possessions of these five faithful Christians that survived the flames. One item. The only item that survived the flames was the cover of a gospel CD whose title was, He Maketh No Mistake. Everything else burned. If you want to see that CD cover, it's on display in the hallway of Crown College along with the written testimony of those five students and their salvation experience and their call to ministry. And next to them are some letters written by their parents. Listen, there is not a person here who would handle five young adults serving Jesus Christ that way. Not one. But God is sovereign. And because he knew some people would be left here wondering, he left his business card. He maketh no mistake. There's not a person here this morning who couldn't list events that God sovereignly allowed or caused that we did not understand. But I do this morning want to pause and thank God that he has a great and a glorious purpose for everything he allows in our world as well as in our life. And so what I'd like to do this morning for a few moments is make some applications and observations about the one true God being sovereign. Please first begin in your Bible in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. So I get it, Brother Wally, I, God is sovereign, but I like the fact that God is love more than that God is sovereign. Hey, listen, they're both equally true. Christ tarries in a few weeks. That's on the list of things to talk about. But that ain't on the list of things to talk about this morning. God is sovereign. Here's number one. God is sovereign in salvation of man. God is sovereign in salvation of man. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's pretty clear to anybody that, according to the Scriptures, eternal life is the gift of God. It is not the wage God pays to those who do a good work. You might be here and thinking that if you join a church or you get baptized or you give a certain amount of money, then God will give you salvation. That's not the way it works. Salvation is a gift of God given by grace through Jesus Christ. 
Now, most people believe that God is going to weigh their good and bad in a balance, and as long as they have more good than bad, somehow they'll be okay. Let me just tell you this morning, that's a lie. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I do not believe God expresses his sovereignty over who gets saved, though he has the right to do that. The question is not, for anybody who believes in the sovereignty of God, the question is not, can God do that? The question is, did God do that? I believe God chose to limit himself when it comes to letting people choose whether they accept or reject Jesus Christ. Listen, God has, uh, he was sovereign when Jesus took upon him the form of a man. and He took upon him uh, flesh and he chose to be self-limiting for those 33 and a half years where he did not express all of his Godhead. He did not express all of his power. He could have. He was God manifest in the flesh, but he limited himself. God is still sovereign in the life of a Christian who chooses to disobey him. Listen, God has the divine right. He has the authority. He has the power. He could make every follower of Jesus obey him, but he chooses to limit himself and say, you know what? I've said this, but if you're not I am not going to crush you like a bug. By the way, I'm sure there's believers here, and you know, as you sit here this morning, you're disobedient to Jesus Christ. And God, though he could sovereignly make you obey him, he chooses to limit himself. In fact, the Bible teaches that God sufficiently enables every sinner who are dead in their trespasses and sin to choose to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why John 1.9 says that Jesus Christ lighteth every man that cometh into the world. That's why the invitation is also always whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Listen, if God is speaking to your heart and He is convicting you of your sins and He is drawing you to Jesus Christ and salvation, the hindrance to you being saved is not God. It's you. And though I do not believe God sovereignly chose who would be saved and who would be lost, God did sovereignly choose the plan of salvation. Listen, if God surveyed man to find out what man would want for a plan of salvation, it would be, not be that the Son of God would live a perfectly holy, sinless life, shed His blood, die on a cross for our sins, rise again from the dead, and that He would offer salvation by grace. That's not the plan man would choose. Uh, you say, well, how do you know that? Because there's been two religions. Always. Only two. Still are. There is one religion where it says do something and you'll live forever. Uh, depending on which group it is, they may tell you different things to do. I mean, they may tell you that you need to one month a year fast from sunrise to sundown and that you might need to give money to the poor and that you might need to take a trip to Mecca and that you might need to pray facing east and say, Allah is God, Muhammad is prophet times a day, or they may tell you that you need to be sprinkled by their organization and go through some ceremony or But all it boils down to is the same thing. You do this, and you will live. The only other religion in the world is that it's been done. 
that Jesus Christ shed his blood, died in our place, paid the wages of our sins, rose again from the dead, and offers man salvation as a gift. Always been those two religions. By the way, in the Garden of Eden, wasn't any different. Adam and Eve knew they had a problem. What they did is they made themselves an apron of leaves. Their works. What God did instead killed an animal and shed blood and gave them a coat of skins. When Cain and Abel were trying to find forgiveness with God, Cain came and he offered God the, he was a farmer and he offered God the fruit of his, work, his hands, his from his farm, and God said no. He rejected that. Uh, on the other hand, Abel offered God a lamb and shed blood. And God said, I'll take that. Abel, I'll forgive you. But Cain, you don't have forgiveness by your works. Biblical Christianity and the message of the New Testament is simply this. Something has already been done for us by Jesus Christ on his cross and in his resurrection. And we either humbly believe and receive him and trust him or we do anything else, you, you name it. God sovereignly chose that Jesus would be the one Savior. He so- sovereignly chose that the one plan of salvation would be by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God didn't take a vote. And the hard thing about salvation is really that you have to be humble enough to receive it. It's a hard thing for a human being to say, I don't have anything in me or anything I've ever done that causes me to deserve eternal life. That's a humbling thing. Especially if you're not drinking your lunch out of a brown paper sack. But that's God's plan of salvation. Have you humbled yourself to believe God's plan and receive his son? If not, you know, today is a good day. In fact, the Bible says today is a day of salvation. Now is accepted time. And I plead with you this morning in Christ's stead that you would be reconciled to God and turn to the Lord Jesus. See, God is sovereign over how people go to heaven. He sovereignly chose we must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. But that isn't the only way God's sovereignty applies. Secondly, go back in your Bible to Daniel chapter 2. God is sovereign over the salvation of man. So I'd like to talk about that more. I'd be glad to have lunch with you. I'd be glad to meet you in my office if you don't want to have lunch. God is sovereign over the salvation of man. Here's number two. God is sovereign over the events of our world how our world will end, and how we're gifted. God is sovereign over the events in our world, how our world will end, and how each of us are gifted. Daniel chapter 2, notice what it says in verse 20. Daniel answered and he said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changeth the times and seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. Did you see who removes kings and who sets them up? Did you see anybody that has wisdom where they got it from? He giveth wisdom. 
Do you see anybody that has knowledge? Do you see where they gave it? He gives it. To study the book of Daniel, we would find that God reveals many details about future nations, kings, and kingdoms. And though campaigns and people and elections matter, God is sovereign over who reigns and how long they reign. There's probably not a person in here this morning that would say, do you know what? I loved Barack Obama. I loved uh, Donald Trump. And I love, um, what's, Joe, yeah, uh, Joe Biden. Sorry, I had a sleepy senior moment. There's probably nobody here would say, I love all them people. Listen, each of them in their own ways, whether you like this or not, have ways that they're handling human government different than God wants it handled. And though none of us would put all three in office any more than we would elect Adolf Hitler or Vladimir Putin, who have literally resulted and killed millions of people and done over a trillion dollars worth of a building and property damage, none of us would do that. And though none do that. I want you to understand, none of them rose to power without God allowing it to be so. Hear me when I say our world win in the manner God predetermined. There are far too many people here this morning, you're worried about what's going to happen. Do you realize the future of our nation is in God's hands? I'm not implying we shouldn't vote. I'm not implying we shouldn't fight to bring as much righteousness and peace and love into our world as we can. Saying that, I'm just saying God is in control. And it's not just that God is in control of America. God is in control in our world. It's going to conclude just how He said it's going to conclude in His Word. God is sovereign. Augustus Caesar was reigning and ruling. Rome over the known world 2,000 years ago. But God was in charge. God used Caesar to move Mary and Joseph 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem to fulfill his word. I'm told Rome took a census every 14 years for military and tax purposes. I'm told that each Jewish male had to return to the city of their fathers to record their name, occupation, property, and family. And hundreds of years before that census... Hundreds of years before Rome ruled, rose to power, God promised the Savior would be a human, not an angel. He promised the Savior would be a Jew and not a Gentile. He promised the Savior would be born in Bethlehem from the tribe of Judah in the family of David of a virgin woman. And all that happened just as the Scripture predicted and Caesar unknowingly played an important part in the plan of a sovereign God in the birth of His only begotten Son. Let me ask you this morning, are you fearful? You look around and say, wow, America is out of control. Listen, there's plenty of messes, but America is not out of control. Just because God doesn't do things like we think he should doesn't mean God isn't doing things. Are you overly concerned about the future? If you are, it's because you're trusting politicians and news media and businesses too much. Again, I'm not implying we shouldn't vote. I'm not implying we shouldn't pray. I'm not implying we shouldn't exert Christian influence over those areas where we can. I I think we should. But listen, God is in control. And hear me also when I say, listen, everything's all right in my father's house. 
everything's all right in my Father's house. There is not a ripple on the crystal sea around the throne of God. But it's not just God is sovereign in salvation and who rules and reigns and how the world ends and how each of us are gifted. Lastly, and very briefly, please go in your Bible to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. God is sovereign in the salvation of man. God is sovereign in the events of our world, how the world will end, and how everyone is gifted. Listen, God has a plan for your life. He gifted you to fulfill that plan. He didn't let you or I vote in how we were gifted. Listen, you and I can have passion to be this or do this, but if God didn't gift us to do it, it doesn't matter. God sovereignly chose. Lastly, this morning, God is sovereign in the suffering of believers. For those who are not familiar with the story of Job, he was, by God's own testimony, the most faithful man on the planet. He was righteous. He was a good husband. He was a good dad. He was a very successful businessman and committed his business to God. He literally employed hundreds of people. But Satan wanted to hurt him. And by the way, if you're a believer here today, Satan wants to hurt you. Now, if you're not doing what he wants, he's real happy with you. But anybody here who's a true believer, if you're trying to follow Jesus, he wants to hurt you. Notice what he does here, beginning in Job chapter 1 and verse 8. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord, and he said, <laughs> Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all he hath on every side? Dost bless the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. Do you see what he's saying? He said, God, you, you, he, he's only like that because you have given him so much and made his life so easy. Verse 11, Satan says, But for, put forth thine hand now, touch all that he hath. He'll curse thee to thy face. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Hey, listen. Satan took Job's wealth in one day. The only employee of his hundreds of employees that Satan spared were employees that brought bad news. In one day, the same day, Satan caused a huge wind to cause the walls of the house where Job's seven sons and three daughters were having a birthday party. What we would call an act of God. Killed all ten of his children one day. The only people Satan spared and gave life to were the people to bring bad news, and he spared his wife because his wife, he knew, Satan knew that his wife would try to get Job to abandon his faith. Don't be critical of her. You've never been a day or a minute in those kinds of shoes. But the one thing I want to say this morning is very simply this. Satan could not do anything to Job without it first flowing through the loving hands of Job's father in heaven. If you know the story, you know that because this didn't work, 
Satan asked God to take his health, and God allowed that to happen. And Job was covered from the top of his head to the sole of his foot with boils, and he sat in the ash heap and the ashes there, scraping the open sores on his body. But Satan couldn't do anything to him without God's permission. Hear me, if you are saved here this morning, there is literally nothing that gets to you but what, by the grace of God, you can use for good. Nothing. Because God is sovereign in our sufferings. Satan is not sovereign in our sufferings. Our world is not sovereign in our sufferings. You and I are not sovereign in our sufferings. Our enemy is our family. No one is sovereign in our sufferings but the Lord God himself. And in the end of the story, if you know it, God gave Job twice as much. Now, thousands of years later, we're encouraged by reading his story. Doctors are not sovereign over your suffering. William Carey is sometimes called the father of missions. With his biography in our bookstore, he began his missionary work in India in 1793. He served there for 40 years, never one time returned uh, home to England. And through that time, he translated different parts of the Bible into over 12 languages. One afternoon, after 20 years of labor, uh, his printing plant and warehouse burned to the ground. All his printing equipment, all of his manuscripts in a day when there were no computer backups, there was no copy machine, when literally everything he had done for 20 years went up in smoke. Here's what he wrote to his friend Andrew Murray in England, quote, the ground must be labored over again, but we are not discouraged. We have all been supported under the affliction and preserved from discouragement. To me, the consideration of the divine sovereignty and wisdom has been very supporting. And then he quoted Psalm 46.10, which says, Be still and know that I am God. I'm glad God is sovereign over suffering. Hey, listen. We live in a broken world among people who are broken. This morning we sit in a congregation of people, many of whom are sincere followers of Jesus, and we're still broken people. I'm glad that nothing ever gets to me, my wife, my children, my grandchildren, or any of you, but what it first goes through the loving hands of my Father. Amen? God is Sovereign. If you quietly stand.